What's the most romantic, popular, accessible, and crowded city in Eastern Europe? It's Prague, of course. I'm Rick Steves. There are plenty of reasons for Prague's popularity. And in the hour ahead, we'll talk with a pair of Czech tour guides who will take us on a tour of their hometown. Hansa Vihan and Katarina Svobodova were teenagers when communism fell and the Czechs won their freedom. Since then, Hansa and Katarina have introduced hundreds of curious Americans to the charms of Prague. Today, they're here to take your calls and teach us about the soul of the Czech people. It's a city that everyone should enjoy because Prague was always an international city. I feel actually the last 15 years, it's a returning to what it once was. The golden city of a hundred spires has something to offer every traveler. But the Czech Republic is more than just Prague, so we'll also get some tips on best day trips into the Czech countryside. It's a full hour of Prague, just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, let's go to Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. When you go to Prague, it's just amazing what a decade and a half of freedom can do. Prague has always been historic. Now, it's fun as well. No other place in Europe has become so popular so quickly, and for good reason. Prague, the only Central European capital to escape the bombs of the last century's wars, is one of Europe's best-preserved cities. It's filled with sumptuous Art Nouveau facades, tons of cheap Mozart and Vivaldi concerts, the beer is the best anywhere in Europe. And beyond its architecture and traditional culture, it's an explosion of pent-up entrepreneurial energy, just jumping for joy after 40 years of communist rule. At least that's my impression of Prague, having been there before and after the fall of the wall, and to enjoy the challenges and the thrills of being a tourist in this great city. I'm joined by two tour guides and friends from Prague, Hansa Vihan and Katarina Svobodova. Very good, yes. Yes. Now, a common concern, people who love Prague, is that it's become so popular that it's being overrun by tourism, and, and with that comes local greed and scams and pitfalls for the mass tourism, and what was charming is now trampled by tour groups and so on. You two live in Prague. What's it like for you to see so many tourists coming? Well, the truth is that, yeah, in the summer there are a little bit too many people sometimes, but I think it's great that they can come finally and see the city. And it's just, of course, we take it as it is. We know that we, we need them. We like them to have them there. Then they know us. Then they just come back and they tell their friends, you know, to come too. We get back to our lives a little bit more maybe in January, February, the, the winter period. That must be interesting for you. Your, your city is overwhelmed with visitors in the summer, but it's part of your economy. It must be the biggest employer in the city. Definitely for the city of Prague. It I is mean, you're a young, important. well-educated person, and your, your career is tourism. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it started thanks to visitors. Yeah, That's right. sure. I think it's the same for many students in Prague. There, the university is actually in the mm-hmm. old town, so the university life is still going on. The tourism, many of the students working as uh, guides for the people who are there. And because of that, they can pursue all different kinds of interests because they have an income. Yeah. And, uh, so you're sort of the it. tourists are, in a way, a necessary evil if you want mm. yourself. I would not call it a necessary evil. I think I grew up in Prague was a city which was falling apart and it was fun climbing through all the attics that were falling apart. And it was a very different old city, but... When you think about history of Prague, when you think about someone like Charles IV, he built it as a European capital. He built it as a capital for everyone to come. It wasn't just for the Czechs. And I think it's a city that everyone should enjoy. I feel actually the last 15 years is more returning to normal than anything else because Prague was always an international city. It was different from the rest of the country. It was not a city where you spoke Czech. It was a city where you spoke Italian or German. Very few of the buildings you see in Prague were built by Czech architects. They were Most of them were international architects. So I think in that sense, it's a returning to what it once was. That's a very positive spin. I haven't heard that, and I like it. Yeah. I, I remember the 1980s when the city was really pretty bleak. It was dark. It was not well lit. Uh, buildings were literally falling on each other. There was big beams that held buildings apart from each other. The menus were pretty boring, and uh, there was not much hope for people. And today you've got a city that is um, sparkling the way I guess you're saying it was built to be. 
it was it was built to be like that. So in that some ways we can take pride in the fact that it is like that. But I must say I grew up in a city that was like that, bleak, and I love that. And that's why I love Pest out of Budapest because when I go to Pest and I go through the streets, it's like that still there. Pest is like that. Pest is like that. So for me, going to Pest is nostalgic, and I really like Pest because I of think, that. I think I think you would like Vilnius. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the capital of the <laughs> Lithuania. My dad, my dad has been there a couple of times, and he's his favorite city. So. Vilnius is just yeah. like to me. Yeah. My memory yeah. of Vilnius is like Prague was back yeah. before there was any money. Mm. So, Katerina, when you want to enjoy Prague, or if you've got a friend that's coming over and you want to enjoy Prague in the summer, but you don't want to be overrun by the tourists, I suppose you just stay away from this. Um, what do you call it? The royal the walk route. Yeah. The royal road from the castle to the main square across the bridge. Mm -hmm. That's where probably 80% of the tourists are at any one time, I would think, Definitely. is along this corridor, mm -hmm. mesmerized by all of the touristic little gimmicks. What advice would you give people to enjoy the city with a little more subtlety? Well, I think that there are several possibilities how they can do that. Either uh, just the timing of the day, if they do it other way around, that they don't go the same times to, to places where everyone goes. Some people on tours, they usually start in the morning. So then I done it a lot of the times that we just went later, later in the day. And we did, of course, uh, the castle, for example. Then we went down, but not on those main streets as everyone, but there are just streets around mm. it, very interesting, twisty and so, but they had the same way all to the river anyway. So then you can get to the bridge and, and cross it. I did it many times and it worked really. It's so true anywhere in Europe in your travels. You can sit on the main drag and complain about the tourist crowds or simply walk a couple hundred meters away and, and go on a parallel road with low rent district. Mm. You know, a lot of people brag about the architectures of their cities and Prague is famous as the golden city of a hundred spires. It's gorgeous architecture in, in Prague. But a lot of travelers just have a tough time relating to architecture and enjoying and appreciating architecture. Hansa, what would your advice be for appreciating architecture in your city, Prague? What uh, makes Prague unique is not that any of the architecture there is uh, absolutely innovative. Most of the architecture that was built there was tried out somewhere else, in France, in Italy, in Vienna. Then it was imported into Prague as something tested out. Mm. And uh, so in that sense, I'd say you need to appreciate Prague as in fact a conservative city, as a city where a lot of the buildings were built because they proved to be good somewhere mm. else. And what makes it unique is, for me, the way that these buildings are put together, that there is not a one period that would dominate everything, but that these various periods chip in, each of them, and that you mm. can have buildings from different times uh, built next to each other. And one of the buildings which is my favorite in Prague is actually a cubist building from 1920s. Because one of the things that Prague always demanded of its architects is that you pay attention to the local context. That if you want to build a building, you first look, how is it going to fit into where I'm going to build it? And that's what I think makes Prague unique. The way, just pay attention at how every building is built, not to stand out, but to match the other ones around. It's a perfect place to see everything that, every style that was used in Europe in one place. You took me to the Cubist house last summer and it was mm -hmm. just great. What is the name of that place? Uh, it's the Black Madonna. The, the, Black, Madonna. the Black Madonna. And it's within a, a couple it's minutes walk hundred, of the main 100, square. 100 meters from the main square. And, you know? and not very many people appreciate it, I don't no, think. No, they don't people. notice it because it's a, it's a modern building right in the old town and people don't notice it. And that's exactly what I appreciate about that architect of having to build it in such a way that people don't notice it. And, and that's the challenge for the, the thoughtful tourist mm -hmm. or traveler is to be able to appreciate yeah. this. Katerina, what's your favorite architecture in Prague? Well, actually, that house. <laughs> that house, too. And there is now even a great um, cafe where I like to go because you have that feeling you are back in those years, the 1940. In, in mm -hmm. the Cubist, uh, in the in house at the Black, Black Madonna. Madonna. Mm -hmm. And great. the furniture yeah. and the menus and the light fixtures, yeah. everything is, uh, is, is the same style. Yeah. I like that. They, they really like yeah, put it back there, and that's great because it's a, yeah, it, it's really, as Hansa said, the, the house you don't notice if you don't look up. That's also the thing because down there there are all the stores, so you have to look a little bit higher up above the stores, and then this is okay. So that's what I like because it's really unique. I mean that, uh, yeah, this architecture you don't find anywhere. But otherwise, I am a big fan of Art Nouveau. Art Nouveau. And, <laughs> yeah. of course, we have the Mucha Museum, which is just mm -hmm. a sumptuous Art Nouveau, I think. Uh, Alphonse Mucha, an artist a lot of Americans don't know until they go to Prague, I think. 
mm. and the municipal municipal Mu- house. Yeah, yeah, uh, would those be the two top Art Nouveau uh, on your in, list? Yeah, in that area, even though luckily very close to that, also on the main square, but not the old town, the, the Wenceslas Square, there are great examples of hotels of the same period, mm-hmm. even actually the main train station. And it's also the shame that people don't see that because if they come to Prague to the main railway station, they actually are in that section what was built in the 70s, 1970s, and not that time. Fortunately, I think people will start noticing it because finally a mm. big reconstruction of the main train station has been started. A lot of money will be put into it and an Italian firm is building it. And so it will be sensitive to the architecture. It will be yes. sensitive. The, one of the main emphasis is that uh, will be put in the reconstruction is that that Art Nouveau again comes out. Now, here's an interesting question. When you're sensitive to the architecture, does that mean you're sensitive to the good and the bad? Will they keep the communist elements of the train station when they renovate it? As well, a part of the heritage, because that's a distinctly communist piece of. Um, I think. Sure. I think. I mm. think. As a as part of heritage, uh, there are two parts to this question. One is the main train station. The problem is the main freeway is right above it, and mm. if you you can't unfortunately tore can't down the that. main freeway, so they will have to keep that communist part. Uh, so the communist part is what's squished under the freeway, which mm-hmm. is just yeah. this gray yeah. and, and ugly orange yeah. kind of. It feels they, patriotic and a we'll perverse see, kind We'll of see what the Italians can do with that. Right. Okay, uh, that's the challenge. <laughs> but the Art Nouveau splendor of the, the they station, will try we'll to bring that, that in the future. Out. And the other half to, to your question is that uh, what I find interesting is the attitude to this part of uh, architecture, the communist heritage, that I find in Prague in some ways we've always tried to kind of keep that out. We, we feel that's ugly and it doesn't belong to Prague. So all of the statues were taken down, for example. But a contrast to that is, for example, Budapest, where they keep everything in. And the point of that city is to preserve all of the history, even the bad. And I think that's a nice contrast, that in Prague you kind of try to choose the nice things which you think look good, and in Budapest, you try to preserve everything. So I think when you go to Central Europe, it's go to go to both of these places and be able to compare this. So you, you would say Budapest does a good job of saving its uh, Soviet architecture heritage or its communist architecture I think heritage. it's also given because Budapest was destroyed during the Second World War, so they more had much of more of it was rebuilt. So yeah. there is no so option. So in some ways, they're forced into that. But they because they're forced into that, they didn't really have that same choice as Prague, and they actually did a really good job of making that an asset. Mm. Now, did any, any wars in the 20th century uh, hit Prague? Was there any damage in World War II? Luckily, not really. Amazing. Or at least we, we had we had two, as far as we know, we had uh, just two mistakes what ended up in the city of Prague. But that okay. means just two bombs yeah. and nothing really else. Boy, so and that's, that's one reason why Prague mm. is really the, I, I call it the best preserved great city in Central Europe. Yeah. And, and actually the one bomb destroyed a neo-Gothic part of the old town hall, which most of people in Prague were ugly right away anyway. So, actually, so that was a blessing. So that it was, was a, a blessing. good <laughs> Either that or an intentional accident. Your calls for Hansa and Katerina are coming up next as we explore Prague on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. We're talking about Praha. Is that right? Praha? Praha. 
So that's the Czech way, the, the local way of saying <laughs> Prague. It, it just seems <laughs> strange for me to say that, but that is the correct way, Praha. 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 And I'm joined by Katerina Svobodova. Mm-hmm. Svoboda, is that, does that mean freedom or something? Svoboda like? means freedom, yeah, or liberty. Because that was a big word in Czech Republic in the struggles <laughs> in the days oh. when you were Svoboda. So you've got yeah, a name. Everyone was just, yeah. Katerina oh. Freedom, all yeah, right. Sure. And Hansa Vihan, thank you for joining us. I've got two friends from Prague that have traveled to our studio today to share with you an insight into their great city. And we've got people giving us a call. The phone number is 877-333-RICK. We have on the line Jesse in Seattle. Hi, Jesse. Hi. Thanks for your call. Yes, I was wondering what budget airlines are servicing Prague these days. That's changed lately, hasn't it? What's going on in Prague with the discount airlines? Well, we have about, at least I know, about three of them coming around us. And, of course, it's a great tool because it connects the European cities in between. I use them very often. I go to places now much more than before. <laughs> Because it's, of course, a yeah, great thing of saving money and still seeing the cities. What airlines are these? Uh, Sky Europe, EasyJet, and one more. Sky Europe, EasyJet. And SmartWings. And SmartWings, sure. Now, yeah. these are these new discount airlines. Do you book them directly on the web only? Yeah, or? very easily. So they're not even available through travel agents. You go to their website and you get these incredible cheap tickets. And yeah, you, I you would say that you really don't need any help of a travel agent on that because you get the, the best rate and they do also the, some kind of sales in between. So actually, you always have to just check the dates as the policy is the earlier you go the better price you have. But anyway, I just I just did it recently even, and I just noticed that one day there was just four, it was incredible, for seven Czech crowns to get to Rome. How many oh, crowns, wow. how many crowns in a dollar? And that means it's maybe like mm, one-fourth of a dollar. For 25 cents, and then you had, <laughs> what, $20 of taxes or something like that? Yeah, well, the taxes are not so high, but that's about, yeah, 20 yeah. maybe. So, so that was amazing. You can just go to the websites and, like, import hard to believe prices but that must have been a little bit special to go to Rome for a dollar but well to, sure that was their special but to offer go, but normally yeah. to go from Prague as a Czech person and you want to go to London for a weekend mm-hmm. what would you hope to pay in dollars uh, approximately I also did it like a couple of years ago and that was again about maybe $70 return $70. trip or such a thing. And yeah. this is not unusual these days. Europeans, mm. with the unification of Europe now, there's just so much free movement and it's people can go to Brussels for lunch. Just book ahead. Just make sure you book at least six weeks ahead because the prices tend to go up uh, fast afterward. Now there's a phenomenon that's actually changing the touristic landscape in Prague which is all these hen parties and stag parties, people having their party before their wedding from England. The English, I think, are really into this, aren't they? Uh, they fly to Prague for $30, and then what happens? Uh, well, then you hear them everywhere. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. They come often, especially. They come for 36 hours and do not stay in a hotel. They just party and drink and uh, Yeah, or if they stay, I just heard that they stay in some kind of, uh, well, two-star hotels or so, but they normally don't show up probably in the hotels during the weekend. An interesting addition to that is also I've noticed all of these budget airlines, originally it really started uh, with uh, Go in England, and the whole in England is the country where it has the most mm-hmm. budget airlines. And what, what I find interesting is that in the English media now, I find that people are starting to get worried about what they really started. You have a chance now to go to a website and figure out what's your environmental cost of flying that short haul, and you can go and uh, pay. And usually it's you pay more if you want to offset your emissions. You end up paying more than the ticket. Well, of course, that's something that people who care about the environment and honesty and, uh, are going to be grappling with is what is the environmental I'm, I'm cost. Sort of, I'm sort mm. of grappling with it. I'm, I'm starting to really grapple with it. I was mm-hmm. just really happy, for example, a new train line was started from Ljubljana to Prague. And I, now when I finish my tours, I can get on train. And it, there's a direct train from Ljubljana to Prague. And that's one of the... I wish there were more direct trains and there's a special student price and I was able to go from Ljubljana to Prague for about $15 on the train. Yeah. And uh, Ljubljana, I, I just the hope capital of Slovenia. The capital people. of Slovenia. So I just wish that uh, there is some more en- emphasis created again for people to start using the trains which are so horribly expensive in Europe. They're, they're, they're horribly expensive? In comparison with the budget mm. airlines. So... It's clear to you that the environmental consequence of riding the train is much less than flying. Yes. For example, I used to I would be very happy that I can go to London and I, it, because I live near the airport, it takes me 
three hours to get to London and, and it's a great thing. But now I'm more and more becoming concerned uh, yeah. that this short distance, I just, you know, I see that when you're crossing the ocean, there is not really many options you have. But mm. I just really think that, especially in Europe, with the train system in place, it's not an option now to go from Prague to London on train because it's too expensive. You right. have to take the bus, and it's difficult. But I've found a very interesting sort of horse race between what are the most uh, efficient and economic ways to get from A to B in Europe over the last 20 years. And it gets better and cheaper by plane and faster and faster by train, and they're both getting better and better. And a lot of people underestimate how efficiently you can get from one major city to another by train. And when all the dust settles, when you think about how you got to go to the airport early and the transfer in and out of mm. the airports, from downtown to downtown by train, even if it is a couple more hours, when it all is said and done, it's essentially the just, same amount of time is, from just, hotel to just hotel. Just thinking, for example, yeah. how you took the Pendolino from Olomouc to Prague. Pendolino is a good case. It's an Italian train, and it actually is currently the most ecological train in the world. It, in wow. fact, reuses its uh, energy from uh, braking. So. Well, I think travelers need to take seriously the global warming impact of their jetting around, and we're going to be doing more and more of that. Jim uh, from Woodstock, Illinois, emails us, and he heard a little while ago from a Scotsman that Prague was very inexpensive. He wonders, if, is it still really a cheap place to visit? Uh, how have the prices changed in the last decade in Prague? Well, I would say that the, the city is still cheap if you compare the the cities in that part of Europe, the central eastern section. But, of course, if you go more west, then, of course, in this regard, Prague would be much cheaper, I especially did, I, in maybe two segments mainly. And that's the hotels, but the big chains, because they just equal the prices very, very much. It's like almost the same Vienna. So Munich, Vienna, Prague, mm. it'd be the same for a normal big For these hotel. big hotels, of course. Yeah. Then you have that option to go always to those small little right. you know, places, and, and that's, that's different. I just did a beer study, and for uh, you pay a dollar for the best beer in Europe for a mug in Prague. It cost 4 or $5 in London and 8 or $9 mm. in Oslo, and the beer goes down in quality with the price. <laughs> with that's the price going up. So, so uh, <laughs> mm. that's a good value is the Prague beer. And, uh, mm. of course, classical music in Prague is 10 or $15, I think, for a ticket. But hotels really are frustratingly expensive, I would say, in Prague. Any thoughts on that, Hansa? I think the key in Prague is uh, you get a lot uh, back for your money if you're willing to stay a 5-10 minute train ride out of the center. And, From an accommodations uh, point of and view. And an accommodation point of view. It's also, I think, if... Uh, you come to Prague, you want to see the city center, you want to see the historical Prague. But if you really want to meet the locals, you want mm. to have a, a authentic experience, it's worth to stay that 10 minutes out of the center. So and, the two uh, advantages of staying outside of town, you'll be having breakfast and your evening meal or something in, in neighborhoods that aren't driven by tourism. Because that's exactly what we had to do in many ways as locals, mm -hmm. as, you know, as so many people from outside started to come. They just stay in the center of the city. And uh, so while when I was in high school, we always went to pub in the old town. Now, there's just no pub in the old town that I would like to go to. Because, because they're overrun by Germans and Americans. There is just, they don't either don't have the atmosphere or mm. the beer is too expensive. And uh, so we just go and get advantage was that in my neighborhood where I live, when I was in high school, there just was no pub. There was no good pub. Now there are five nice good pubs in my neighborhood. We have Krista on the line in Minneapolis. Hi, Krista. Hi, Rick. Thanks for your call. I'll be traveling to Europe with my son and husband this August. And we will be in Prague, but we only have two full days there. So we're wondering if a local tour guide is the best way to get acquainted. Well, I'll tell you right off the bat, these guys are both local tour guides, <laughs> and they're going to tell you, yeah, and I will, I'll affirm that. I, it's a little bit of a splurge to have the luxury of a private expert who speaks your language to tailor a morning or an afternoon to your interests. And if you can have two people share that and just, if you're on a budget, have a picnic for dinner or something like that, it is really the way to get intimate with a town. And I think the fun uh, sort of irony is that as you go east in Europe, the cost of guides goes down as the need for guides goes up. I met Katerina by hiring her to take me around for a day, and it was one of the best days I've ever had in Europe. And uh, I just spent a week traveling with Hansa around Czech Republic last year, and, and just uh, yesterday Hansa agreed to uh, do a new TV show with me, so I'll go back to the same places he showed me as a private guide who I hired, and we'll take the TV camera, and then everybody in public television will get to enjoy Czech Republic through Hansa's eyes. So, yeah, especially in Eastern Europe, if you can get the local guides, um, go for it. Katerina, there's a lot of... 
young, well-educated, uh, Western-looking people, not Western, not looking like Westerners, <laughs> but, but facing Western, that okay. enjoy connecting with Western people who are available in all tourist centers in Eastern Europe. What is it like to connect with you, to, to book your time? How much does it cost for half a day and so on? Well, um, so I think that that I keep the prices uh, of course, very uh, compatible with the other ones because there are a lot of students who love to do this job. But on the other hand, also the great thing that we have the special school, so we really, you know, get the training. And once you get that, then you take it more seriously even. So when I have some visitors coming to Prague, of course, I always listen, first of all, to their needs, what they would like to see. Of course, the big thing is also how much time they have because then you can adjust the tour really according to the time as there is really so many ways how you can see the city. As for the costs, uh, I would say that average, or at least what my my price is, that is around uh, 500 uh, check round. So let's say like $20 maybe uh, per hour this would be. Because I, I actually ended up thinking of, uh, you know, how, how to do the prices of tours. That, of course, you can think of maybe half day, full day, but you never know how many hours people can walk. And so because sometimes they don't realize that at the beginning uh, that they want to do five hours and then after two, they are already tired. So, of course, this is perfectly okay because we have cobblestones and not many people are used to that and all that. So then, uh, yeah, that's, I would say, such a price what what, what I So basically $20 an hour roughly. Mm -hmm. And you're a very compassionate guide. If they're tired, they can say that. That's enough. I'm exhausted. I mean, yeah, hotel. sure, because <laughs> it happened so many times to me, and I can understand that. <laughs> Krista, any more thoughts on that? Is there anything you can think of that we should see specifically for my 14-year-old? This is his first time in Europe, and Prague will be his first European city. Mm-hmm. Is there anything not to be missed? Well, I would say that definitely would be probably fun, for example, like to climb up our little Eiffel Tower, what we call as Petrine, because of the great view and, of course, because of a little bit more fun for your kid. That's definitely right. And then I would probably take him. You said it's in the summer. So I would take him to the river. Maybe the paddle boat can be quite fun, that plastic one we have there, because that's what we do a lot in the town. And you see also the city, of course, at the same time. So that, that can be what, add it what to month the are you going to be there? In August. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, then you should take a swim in the Vltava River right by the Charles Bridge. Right where you can go and paddle, there is in fact an island. So if you go from the National Theater across a bridge, then you climb down on an island and you go to the tip of the island and there is a nice sandy beach and there he can swim mm. right kind of looking at the Charles Bridge. And I think if I were 14, I think that would be, that's probably the most beautiful scenic spot in Prague and uh, the Vltava River has actually been quite cleaned up in the last few years so I, I swam there uh, last summer and uh, so I think that would be a wow thing to do for a 14 year old. And the last thing I was in a 14 year old frame of mind and the last thing I did I, in Europe last summer I was with Hansa. We with Rick, I uh, took Rick on uh, just before he left at the end of his last uh, summer in Europe the last afternoon we had after researching the Czech Republic for 10 days I just took Rick on this paddle boat right next to the National Theater and you just uh, it's it's a thing that is not very touristy. Many of the local Czechs do it. It's basically and, uh, what you do for a cheap date, I think. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, all the boyfriends and girlfriends are out there, and, and me and Hans are pedaling around the island. It was a delightful way to finish yeah, we, my uh, we, romantic yeah. look at Czech Republic. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> hey, that sounds, you know, to take a 14-year-old kid, to introduce him to Europe with Prague being the first stop, I think that is really exciting. There's, it'll, my first time in Europe was when I was 14, and I, my parents took me to Vienna, and I met a man who said he witnessed the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo in 1914, and my eyes were wide, and I really thought, wow, history is real. There's real people, real consequences, and I can go learn about it myself. And when you meet people like Katerina and Hansa, they are just coming right out of an exciting stage of history as the people of the Czech Republic won their freedom, and today their country is really on a roll. Krista, have a good time on your trip. Thank you so much. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. And we have Casey on the line in Seattle. Hi, Casey. Hi. My coworker and I are traveling to Prague. We leave next week, and because we'll be spending most of our days working and inside a hotel, I was wondering if there was anything in particular we should look for um, in terms of seeing nighttime sites or activities. Well, it depends, of course, what your interests are, but a lot of, as for the culture opportunities, either 
the music, like the classical, the, the concerts, and we really have a lot of them and very great in churches, in venues like those Philharmonic orchestra uh, centers, or then, of course, operas, or then a little bit more fun could be the marionette performances, what I love very much. You can have a great walk just around the river. You can take even the boat cruise. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a great thing because of the lit city. It's really so different. It's so magical in the evening. But Katerina, she could also, given the fact she has no opportunity to sightsee in the middle of the day, she could hire somebody like sure. you for $20 was, an yeah, hour. I was also thinking of that, that the and night walk can be very do the different. Same thing. Just do exactly the same walks you would do, but do them at night. And yeah. you will have a better time than anyone else. <laughs> it's actually a good idea. you'll be there on your own. The castle is open. The castle grounds are open till 11 in the evening. I When I, when, when I get homesick and uh, I want to go through the old town again, I, I do that usually around 11 in the mm-hmm. evening. That's when I go to the castle. So it's a perfect time to be there and uh, just you'll see the pubs and uh, you can just hop from one pub to another. And one thing which I'd really stress, I think, which Prague is great for is... Um, the music to go to a concert i think the three main venues that i would recommend people to go to is the philharmonie the national theater and the municipal hall the, in mm. those three venues i'd really recommend if you're there especially not in the two summer months when these are on vacation this is the time to go there and uh, you can see a great ballet in the national theater for very cheap relatively for $30 for $20, which you would not be able to see here in the States. Casey, it sounds like there's no shortages of things to do after your workday is done. Great. (laughs) I'm really into jazz music, and I was wondering if there was a particular venue that would be the top place to go. Jazz. Uh, My uh, favorite venue at the moment in Prague is uh, Jazz Club Železna. It's right off uh, next to the old town square in a very old uh, cellar. It's a a great setting. They have performances almost every night, usually from about 9 o'clock, and you can find it in the guidebook. Katerina, what is your favorite jazz venue in Prague? I was also thinking, well, Železna, that's been for a very long time. But I I love also Reduta, for example. That's the place where Bill Clinton played saxophone one. Oh, I saw his picture (laughs) in the window there. Yeah, 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 that's that's what they have there. So that's that's a very nice place also. And these are mainly located all in cellars, like underground parts that really somehow adds to the... Atmosphere, right. Actually, I just really. wanted to correct myself because the, the name, the exact name, it's in the street called Jelezna for a long time. The club was called Jelezna, but it also go by the name of Agharta. Uh, so Agharta. Agharta, Agharta mm. Jazz Club is probably the name that you'll find it out currently. And All right, so Agharta, A-G-A-T-A? A-G-H-R-T-A. Agharta. And the and, and the place that Bill Clinton <laughs> played. I mean, anybody yeah. in really, Prague knows yeah. the place that Bill Clinton <laughs> yeah. played. That's more of a modern 1960s place. Mm. All right. Casey, have a good time on your trip. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Let's continue to explore Prague together at 877-333-RICK. Or you can join the conversation in the feedback forum on our website. It's at ricksteves.com. Up next, Hansa and Katerina recommend scenic side trips into the Czech countryside. Thanks for joining us on Travel with Rick Steves.
Hi, I'm Donald White. I'm a Scotsman, but I live in northern Italy. I'm traveling with Rick Steves and having a blast. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and today we are enjoying Prague, and we're enjoying Prague with the help of two Czech friends and tour guides, Hansa Vihan and Katarina Svobodova. 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 Correct. Correct. <laughs> Excuse me for my Czech. No, and that's uh, nice. thanks for joining us, both of you. When we're thinking about traveling in Prague, we also have to um, think about using Prague as a springboard to enjoy other parts of the Czech Republic. I think more than almost any country in Europe, Americans are, are really um, missing the boat when they think of Czech Republic. They just think of Prague. What would you advise to people who want to get out of Prague and get a little dose of the Czech countryside except for the outside of the New York City of that culture? The one place that you really enjoyed, Rick, uh, this last summer was Olomouc. The city has become twice closer to Prague than it used to be because the rail line between Prague and Olomouc was all repaired and a new fast train, the Pendolino, is running between Prague and Olomouc. So it takes you two hours to get to Olomouc. And Olomouc is a historically the capital of uh, Moravia, which is the second principal part of the Czech Republic. It is a wonderful Baroque town, wonderfully preserved town, which is the seat of the second most important university in the Czech Republic and uh, still has, really has the atmosphere, the authentic atmosphere of, you won't see almost any tourists there. It's a beautiful place to just walk around, have lunch, enjoy the nightlife and uh, do that really in a wonderful Baroque setting with the Czechs around. And when you were talking earlier about having to leave the historic center of Prague to find a real pub and to find some fair prices, Olomutz is nothing but fair prices and real pubs, I would say. Exactly. They have a tradition of hospitality, in fact, in that region, and uh, they'll make sure you get that when you're there. Just one bit uh, of information, one advice I would give to people while you're on the train to Olomouc or while you're on the plane to get into the Czech Republic, learn some basics of Czechs, just how to say hello, how to say thank you, uh, the way that waiters will treat you, even in the tourist restaurants in Prague, is going to change absolutely if uh, you're able to greet in Czech when you enter that restaurant. Huge difference. So it te- makes a teach huge me. difference. I'm your tourist. Teach me. Dobrý den. Dobrý den. Dobrý den. What is that? It means hello. Good day. Dobrý den. Dobrý den. And that works in many Slavic city uh, countries. That I works, think. yeah. It, it's uh, anywhere in, in Slavic dobry in, Yeah, it works. Dobrý den. Good day. Dobry is good. Uh, yeah. Mnogo dobry? It's v- very good. That's in, in Czech? Uh, in Russian. In, in Russian, because that works <laughs> in Bulgaria. It, not in Russian, actually. It's more in Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yeah. Mnogo dobry. So how do you no. say very good in Czech? Hodně uh, dobry. Hodně dobry. We don't say that. Because so dobry. We are, good is good, is good <laughs> enough. <laughs> with we, the are, we are sort of uh, uh, genetically uh, pessimistic about life. So, <laughs> so we good is as good as it gets. <laughs> it's as good is about as good as it gets. Dobre, dobre, dobre. Okay, so that's good, dobre, and uh, what else should I learn? Dobre den is good day, uh-huh. and uh, thank you. Uh, děkuji. 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 D, there is a D, it's, it's a soft, uh, Czech is a very soft uh, language. Děkuji. Very good. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, so there's two lear- two words I've learned for, the few, for a few minutes anyways in Czech, and děkuji, uh, is there an easier way to say thank you? Okay, and how do you say goodbye? Mm, That's a difficult one. Ahoy, isn't that ahoy? Well, ahoy, yeah, but then if you would like to be really polite to people, then you have to say naschledano. I don't care about politeness, I just want to be understood. Ahoy? Actually, you need to say naschledano. You do? Okay, you can't say ahoy? No, No, they would be really shocked. Why not? It's it's a bit that you give away as an American. That's too casual? It's too casual. Ah, so only best friends are children or something. You can Mm -hmm. tell ahoy to me, but... uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Jacqui. So, dobry den. Ahoy. I can't say ahoy. I just just can't stress that enough because I get that from people, my God, that really tell me that it really people treated them differently. Even in the... Naschledano. That doesn't matter. When you're leaving the restaurant, you don't have to worry so much anymore. But uh, (laughs) when you enter, as long as you enter with a dobry den, dobry den, and Jacqui. Dobrý den. Hello. Good day and thank you. Very good. Jacqui. 
I'm speaking with Katerina Svobodova and Hansa Vihan, two friends of mine and tour guides from Prague, and we're learning all about the Czech Republic. Now, we're talking about Olomouc, which is the capital of Moravia, just two hours to the east of Prague. I love it. As new trains come in, all of a sudden places that were not a conceivable day trip become a conceivable day trip. So we're getting there in lightning speed, and you mentioned it's the second biggest church or the second biggest square or the second biggest. It's the, it's the number two city in, like, many, many ways, isn't it, mm-hmm. in the Czech Republic? Historically, it's, uh, it's actually... it's. Uh, Currently, it's about the fifth largest city in the country, but the other ones are modern cities. This is a so historically. This is a, historically, this has been the historically the center of Moravia, and uh, it's a city which uh, has a lot of character about itself. Also, because it's not the second biggest city, the people there are moving at a different speed. They're moving okay, slower. So it's a little slower. Uh, the tram, the you, you like that also. You can just get on the tram right in front of the train station, and it's in five minutes, it's a, it's, in it's five a, minutes, the tram drops you off on the main square. And uh, I love it. I absolutely and, love uh, it. It's it's probably the most enjoyable main square in the Czech Republic. O l o m o u c Olomouc. Yeah. And it has one thing that it excels bigger and better than any other anywhere in Europe. In fact, the entire world. Right. Yes. What's that? Well, you know that. I know that, yeah. The plague monument. Well, the plague monument, but I thought what you said is bigger than excels anything else is the... Cheese. Oh, the stink, yeah, the stink, stink, cheese. The stink of cheese. Uh, the, <laughs> so when the, you think about Olomouc, Katerina, you think, of, you, you, you think uh, of the cheese too? Yes, but I also think about that uh, Trinity Column, what is on the UNESCO list. That okay, is correct. So the but that's very important. I mean, that Olomouc cheese. I think of cheese. the cheese. I think, I okay. think of the cheese. Well, we'll get done with the plague monument and then we'll talk cheese. Because the plague monument really was, I mean, all over Europe you see punny little plague monuments. And this one is the... It's the Eiffel Tower of plague monuments, really. And they, uh, all over Europe, communities were worried about the plague sweeping and killing half of their people. And they would build a, a monument before as a bribe to God or after if they survived as a thanks to God. And this is one that uh, I remember the story, um, what Maria Teresa came there from Vienna and she was just jealous as could be that Olomouc had a plague monument grander than the one in Vienna. But let's talk cheese because Hansa took me to this great little restaurant and the cheese, the stinky cheese, what's it called? Uh, it's just called the Olomouc, uh, Olomouc cheese, cheese or uh, Tvarushki. And it, it, Tvarushki. And it actually Tvarushki. said on the uh, menu, it said it comes with mints and it comes with a toothbrush. It was in that restaurant. And I think the, on the menu it said the guttery breath of night of Loštice because Loštice is the suburb of Olomouc where they make uh, this cheese. And, and what uh, is it? It, it, it? it ages on rotting meat or something like exactly, that? Exactly, yeah. So that's how it gets that wonderful... Pu- uh, fragrance. I actually have a. Uh, just my mom just uh, told me that her colleague has a uh, son who is uh, currently studying, I think, in America, and uh, he actually because my mom originally comes from this town, so they're from this town, and uh, he can't do away without this particular cheese. So actually, the mom sends him. The this mom cheese? sends him this cheese in mail, and it's it, to it, where. It, I, I probably shouldn't say it on airways because they the, they might find out <laughs> and she's uh, coming into America and in uh, they so she sends it as a package and uh, just says <laughs> that it's a small gift and uh, every month sends him a bit of this cheese. It's probably better after a flight halfway around the world. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the cheese of Olomouc. It's I'm just wild about Olomouc. But uh, also when we think about the Czech Republic, everybody loves to go to Chesky Krumlov. It's sort of the Rotenburg or the Bruges, the cute little medieval town or Baroque town, I guess, of uh, Czech Republic, and it is great, even though it's touristy and discovered. There's um, Terezin, which is the, there's a lot of Holocaust memorials around Europe, and this was the the fake model concentration camp that was used by the Nazis to show off how well they were treating the inmates to the Red Cross, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a powerful, powerful uh, site outside of Prague and Terezin. And you have Kutnahora, which is a great town, and it's famous for its ossuary with a thousands of bones stacked in the church, and Carlo Vivari. I don't know anything about Carlo Vivari, but it always comes up. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, that's a city located in the western part of our country. I think maybe within like two hours you can get there on a train, on a bus, both possibilities. Great spa town for especially those who have problems with gastric disorders or anyone who just likes to drink the waters because you can just do it easily to drink the springs. And that's also that hometown of uh, the two great inventions we have in our country. And And that is the glass, one of that brand, and also then the liquor, what helps you to digest our great Czech food called Becherovka. 
the liqueur Becherovka. Karlo right. uh, Ivari was always a place where you would go and hobnob with the big shots in Europe. It was a place where Peter the Great liked to go and uh, Goethe liked to go. And, sort of a spa town. Uh, it's a spa, spa town. resort, like so Baden Baden. It's a, it's a, it's a spa Germany. resort. So, so it's not a place you don't go there to uh, save, money. <laughs> save money or to experience Czech culture. You, uh, actually, the whole place is most popular with Russians. So Russian it's, aristocrats. It's, uh, it's currently with sort of the nouveau rich in really? Russia. So most of the town, in fact, is owned by Russians now. All right. So Karlo Vivar. So there's plenty to see outside of Prague. We've got uh, Earl on the line from uh, Dowling Park in Florida. Hi, Earl. Hey, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. I've enjoyed hearing the conversation, and uh, I've got some opinions about Prague and the Czech Republic, too. Uh, what are they? Diane and I have visited Prague four times since 2003, so I've enjoyed hearing the conversation about going outside of Prague because I've, I think that is so important to do that. So you think Prague itself is a little overrun now with tourists? Well, it's got it's a it's, it's a victim of its own popularity. You know, mm-hmm. it just gets more crowded. And we visited Christmas markets in both Vienna and Prague, and and Prague was just kind of a mess. It was so crowded. Mm-hmm. What we do is we search out things that we figure most tourists aren't going to search out. Every time we've been there, we've have visited Visarad Park, and that's a beautiful place, mm-hmm. and it's. Not crowded, but it's it's used, and we've gotten wonderful photography from it. We've gone to the Prague Zoo and have admired how they're trying to come back from the damage after the 2002 flood. Um, this last visit, we took two trips and enjoyed both of them. One was to Barone. Barone doesn't have anything special. In fact, we have a Czech friend, and he said, why did you go to Barone? <laughs> but we wanted to search out a brewery and a, a beer restaurant, which we did. And then uh, you're going to be able to tell my interests here. We went to Pilsen to visit Pilsen Urquell and, and tour it. So this last trip, and all in all, was good, but I sure do agree. You know, do get outside of Prague. Yeah, see Prague, and I mean, you got to put up with the crowds. It's a great place; they're all there for good reason. But oh, it's beautiful but, city. But but don't be limited to that, and, no. and, and and jump. Use it as a springboard. Yes, absolutely. All right, Earl. Thanks for your call. You are welcome. And I uh, want to just add one thing that, uh, thanks to your advice, my wife and I have been to Europe many times, and we always go each wearing one backpack. And I'll tell you, that is so great. Good for you. And then you can uh, get from the breweries to the next breweries <laughs> in, in Czech <laughs> well, Republic. Well, it's wonderful on easier. the planes. Uh, and on the planes. have to check baggage. Earl, before you go, uh, you, you uh, apparently appreciate good beer. Uh, yes. D- what is it about Czech beer that keeps you going there? How does it compare to you to German beer and Belgian beer and so on? Oh, boy. I like Belgian beer, too. Yeah. I'm just going to... Uh, I really can't tell you. It's just a lot of fun, and yeah. you were talking with the other person about Chesky Krumlov, yeah. and one of our greatest experiences was just at a little place called the Nalawazi, and we just had a couple of beers it's, uh, there. It's Rick's favorite place in, uh, in uh, Chesky Krumlov. He plays yes, the piano there. you've been there. He plays the piano there. That's right. When I'm there, I <laughs> oh, play the no. piano. And <laughs> that's a, I love Chesky Krumlov, and uh, everything I is... I do, too, and it's crowded, but that's all right. Yeah. All right, Earl. Hey, well, okay. continued happy travels, and uh, you're smart to be packing light. Thank you. Yeah, bye now. And uh, Cara from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, emailed us, and uh, in related, we were talking about the flood and so on, wonders uh, how much of the flood damage is repaired? Is there any lasting damage from the from the flood in Prague? It's all history now? No, it's, yeah, it's exactly, it's history. Everything has been repaired. Even uh, they put the barriers finally just in case of a new danger. Hopefully nothing would happen again, but really we never know in these days. So really you would not see there except of maybe one line on one of the building somewhere, but right. otherwise it's been done so much. It was really amazing. I mean, how quickly we could put the city uh, back Be- into a good story shape. Prague- it, was, it was very expensive. Prague is still, uh, the budget Prague is still in in debt after after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things is it was very costly actually to put up the uh, damage uh, protection, but mm-hmm. if the flood didn't happen, it would have never gone through the, the government, the, the Prague, that. the, Prague, uh, now the, you're the city prepared. hall. You're now better. it's prepared for another major flood of this size. It would be so okay. So it's actually the they would just put up these barriers wow. along the river, Very good. and uh, those barriers would hold up a flood of the same size that happened in 2002, which was the greatest, the biggest in 1,000 years.
I've been talking with Hansa Vihan and Katerina Svobodova, and we're enjoying Prague without even going there, just talking to these people who are heading over there and, and uh, having memories with you two. It's just a lot of fun. I want to wrap things up just with a sort of an image for our listeners, uh, Katerina and Hansa. First with you, Katerina, it's a, it's a hot summer afternoon, and, and you're on the middle of Charles Bridge, and you're just, it's the great, grand, baroque bridge that cuts across, connecting the two halves of the city. Uh, and you take a 360-degree slow turn, and you look around the city. How do you explain what you see there? What do you really, what makes you proud to be from Prague when you look at that, that view? Well, I think that in the hot summer day, if I, yeah, if I see that, that's, that's what I love there. That's the river and the glittering on the river. That's what I just love because I, I come uh, yeah, from the city what is in the north part and it's very much connected to the river. So I've always been somehow connected to that. And the spires. The because spires. Because any, I mean, any side of the bridge you look, you see the little spires. And, and again, in the summertime, of course, hot day, they are all kind of shiny. And that's what you don't see in any other city, I think. This especially the, the the spires and and the the bridges the bridges are so great and there are so many of them and you are just of course on that main the most important one what is by the way celebrating big anniversary this year because it was built just six hundred and fifty years ago well, it's just six hundred and fifty oh, years just, old yeah well. and you're surrounded by spires in the city that happens to be called the golden city of a hundred spires mm-hmm. Hansa what is your thoughts as you stand in the middle of the bridge and marvel at Prague well. Uh, the river is crucial that the the city is on the river the The other thing is uh that uh, it's set in the middle of hills, so the it Prague is not flat that uh, the castle is high above and Prague is set in a uh is a basin essentially so it's uh, surrounded by hills so that that gives it that vertical element which is very important so Prague has river it has hills but you might say that it's missing one thing and that's sea that it doesn't have ocean and i would like to correct you here that maybe Prague doesn't have ocean at the moment but it did have ocean one day and uh, we actually have to thank uh, to the greatest Czech who ever lived Jara Zimmermann who noticed uh, back in the beginning of the century that you know people come to Prague and say that Prague does not have an ocean so he for one day he brought ocean to Prague and how he did it that's uh, that's another story but he managed to do it how did he do it well he painted it on the main square he painted the ocean on the main and square he painted it on the main square unfortunately the austrian government wasn't very at that time prague was part of the austro-hungarian empire and so they were not very open to it and so they just allowed him to do it just for one day. They didn't want to have Prague Ocean longer than one day. And you and I were on that same square a few months ago, and it was filled with people as if it was the community living room, and there was a giant TV screen. And on that TV screen, I believe the Czech Republic was playing the United States in the World Cup. Exactly, yeah. There was the, there was the only highlight uh, of the World Cup for the Czechs because we lost, lost every other match except for that one. So <laughs> you beat the Americans and, and half of the city was gathered on the main square to enjoy that wonderful day in the history of the Czech Republic. Katerina and Hansa, thank you so much for sharing the wonders of Prague. Thank you. Thank you. I should say Jacqui. Prosim. But I can't say ahoy. <laughs> you can. We know each other. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com, where you can look up information on this and other programs in this series. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.